this time, let's look in our Bibles to Luke chapter 7. We're told that God's Word is holy and infallible. It's sharper than any two-edged sword because it cuts to the bone and to the marrow. And it even cuts to our hearts. And because this Word is of divine authority, let's stand together as we read God's Holy Word. He, uh, this is uh, Luke 7, starting at verse 11. Hear the word of the Lord. Luke seven eleven. Soon afterwards, he went to a city called Nain, and his disciples were going along with him, accompanied by a large crowd. Now he, as he was approaching the gate of the city, a dead man was being carried out and the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a sizable crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her and said to her, Do not weep. And he came up and touched the coffin, and the bearers came to a halt. And he said, Young man, I say to you, Arise. The dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Fear gripped them all, and they began glorifying God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. His report concerning him went out over all Judea and in all the surrounding district. Let's pray together. Our Father, we ask that you would bless this, your word, and we pray that you would work mightily in us, that that same power which raised up Jesus from the dead would work in us to give us new life through your Son. We ask all these things and that we would receive and hear this word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. There are a lot of people who want you to trust in something, and you might ask, well, who should I trust in? Why trust in Jesus, some would ask you. Uh, There are other authorities who want you to trust in them as well. Um, For instance, Islam claims there is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is the messenger of God. That's one of the pillars of Islam. The Buddhists claim that we should trust in a man named Buddha. I didn't know this, this, but uh, Buddha means the enlightened one. So if you want to become enlightened, you need to trust in Buddha as the enlightened one, and you will become enlightened. Well, the Hindus say that you need to trust in their religion if you want to achieve um, some sort of enlightenment as well. Um, I'm, 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 I'm sorry. Buddha is the awakened one. And Hinduism is enlightenment. I got them a little mixed up. What about secularism? Trust in man's reason. Because only man's reason ultimately can be trusted. Now, there are others who say, trust in your own heart. And what your heart believes to be true, that's true to you. And what I trust in my heart, that's true to me. It's all relative, isn't it? But who can you trust ultimately? This text tells us that we can trust this one man, God-man, Jesus Christ, because in him 
is all power and authority. So during this time in Jesus' ministry, he was growing in popularity. Um, if you go, we're not going to turn there, but all the way back in chapter 4, crowds were gathering unto him. Um, he was delivering many. He spent his time all the way from sunset to sunrise healing and delivering many from demons, demonic oppression. He did that from sunset to sunrise. And then, believe me, after that, many began to follow him. In Luke 5 and 6, Jesus gathered his 12 apostles. Chapter 6, Luke accounts an abbreviated version of the Sermon on the Mount. And that sermon was one that established him as a teacher who taught with authority, unlike the scribes and the Pharisees. And many followed him after hearing his preaching. As we find in today's text, this was Jesus leaving after his second trip to Capernaum. And he left for another city, also in the region of Galilee, called Nain. And his popularity there is evident in verse 11. Soon afterwards, he went to a city called Nain, and his disciples were going along with him, accompanied by a large crowd. Perhaps the large crowd was hoping to hear more of his teaching or maybe to see another sign and wonder, and surely they did. The main focus of today's text is that you are to put your faith in Jesus Christ who has resurrection power. You are to put your faith in Jesus Christ who has resurrection power. And we're going to look at this in two main points. The compassion of Christ and then the power of Jesus Christ. So let's look first at this main point, the compassion of Christ. Verses 12 and 13. Now, as he approached the gate of the city, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a sizable crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her and said to her, Do not weep. You might not find it as evident in the text, but this woman here was in a great predicament. She had a husband who died some time ago. We don't know how long. Uh, So she lost the breadwinner of the family. So obviously the son would be the one to help take up responsibility to get work to help provide for the household. Back then in the Middle East, you didn't have Medicaid and you didn't have Social Security for the poor and disabled. Um, If she lost this son, who was also the only help of financial stability she had, she would have to go glean the fields. That was what you did if you were poor. You'd have to go through a field, and after the harvester went in and harvested all the fruits or grain or whatever, you'd have to go in and get the remnant that was left over in that field. And uh, women didn't have opportunity for gainful employment as they did, as they do now uh, during this time in in Israel. Uh, We did have examples of Lydia, who was a a dyer of purple, uh, seller of purple garments, and she was a woman who had a a, a lucrative business, but this lady was likely going to be destitute. So this mother had many reasons to weep. She was likely already missing her husband, and now she was going to miss her only son, and she was going to be lonely. She was expecting to be lonely. Not only that, she was probably sad and weeping because she knew that her life was going to be very difficult, very hard after the loss of her son, without her son. 
For this reason, we find in verse 13, the Lord said to her, he felt compassion for her and said, do not weep. Now, there are times you might find it's probably the wrong thing, an insensitive thing, and even an unloving thing to tell people, don't weep. In other words, you might say, you know, it's not going to be as bad as you think, or it's not really as bad as you think. Don't weep. Well, how do you know? Or you might say, you're, you might say to them, well, why don't you trust in the Lord, that the Lord's hand is in it all, that you should trust in God's province, so you shouldn't weep. Now, uh, one, a lot of us here in this church, we love, and I love, Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28 is a passage that tells us about God's wonderful provision. And I wasn't going to turn there, but I think we should. Let's look at Romans 8.28. says there, We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become um, conformed to the image of his Son, so that we would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. And then he goes on to say, what can separate us from God's salvation? If God is for us, who is against us? Who shall He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also freely give us all things? Who can bring a charge against God's elect? And verse 35, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, or nakedness, or peril, or a sword? And the answer is nothing. None of this can separate us from the love of God through Christ Jesus. And again, reiterating, you know, you're going through a hard time. Well, Romans 8.28 says, God works all things together for good. But you know, this passage does not tell you that it's forbidden to weep. Where? Where does it say in this passage that you cannot weep? Paul, in the same epistle, in Romans 12, 15, says, Rejoice with those who rejoice, and weep with those who weep. You know, those people who were in the, in the funeral procession with the widow of Nain, what else could they do for this lady? They didn't have the power to bring her son back. All they could do was weep with her and mourn with her. But Jesus told this lady, do not weep. And he did so out of compassion, and he did so out of great valid cause, because he was going to do something about the situation. He told, her, he told her not to weep because he was going to resolve this great tragedy in her life. But before we get there, I want us to think about how it says that Jesus felt compassion for her. Jesus felt compassion for her as he does those whom he loves, those who are his sheep, because he is the great and compassionate high priest. 
Let's look at a passage that speaks of that. Keep, keep your place in Luke, but we're going to turn to Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4, starting at verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus had compassionate on this dear lady who lost her son because he is the great compassionate high priest. And brothers and sisters, he has compassion upon your trials and your hardships and your sorrow as well. But because of the perfect work of Jesus, we can draw near to God and find confidence at the throne of grace and receive mercy and find grace and help and time at our time of need. Hebrews 4.16. And the reason Jesus was not just a compassionate high priest, but an almighty, perfect, effectual, final high priest is because the priests of old died and could not continue on. But this Jesus continued on and lives forever. And he's able, as it tells us in, in Hebrews 7, to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Hebrews seven twenty four and following. Jesus can help you and has compassion for you through whatever trial you're going through. But the greatest help as your high priest that he can give for you is to help with the issue of your sin. Jesus can take that sin and offer it as a... and cleanse you. He can wipe away your sin through his perfect blood because he himself has offered himself as the sacrifice. He's the great high priest who offers himself. Let's look next at the power of Jesus Christ. Jesus demonstrates his power in this text. Verses 14 and 15. And he came up and touched the coffin, and the bearers came to a halt. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. The dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Now, a skeptic is someone who is an unbeliever, who, who, who kind of mocks God and his word. A skeptic might look at today's text and say, well, you know, this guy was likely in a deep coma. He wasn't really dead. Now, for you young people, what a coma is, is a, a coma is a state of unconsciousness where a person is not able to talk, not able to, to make noise, not able to open their eyes or even follow you with their eyes. They're unconscious. And they don't respond to, they don't respond to loud noises. They don't respond to pain or temperature, hot, cold. They're they're totally unconscious. But I, I doubt that is what was the case with this man. And there's a few reasons why we could say he was not in some sort of coma. 
When a person dies, there's something of a, of a sort of a chemical reaction that happens in your muscles. A person in a coma doesn't have this, but a person who dies, their muscles become stiff, and it's called rigor mortis. And those who would have cared for this body would have known that the person was dead. Besides, if you're in a coma, you're still breathing, or at least shallow breathing, but this person was examined and cared for and taken care of. His body was cleaned and taken care of, and obviously they knew he was dead. Now, Scripture says, our final authority here, Scripture says the man was dead. If Scripture says he was dead, well, he was dead. Verse 14 says, Jesus came up and touched the coffin. Now, what's very interesting is, I didn't realize this until studying more in this text, the word coffin here, and the Greek word here used, doesn't mean an enclosed box. It's something of an open coffin, or maybe perhaps even a platform, and it's actually called a bear, uh, or a beer, B-I-E-R, a platform that would, they would carry a body open in open fashion. So it's not like what we're used to with a closed coffin. This was an open coffin or, or a platform. Now imagine you're the young men who took the, the body of this dead young man and you had to load up that stiff body onto that platform. And then you're carrying him along with the, on the funeral procession. And you know this guy's dead because you helped load him up and put him on the platform. And then Jesus comes up and he says to the young man, Young man, I say to you, Arise. Wouldn't you have been astonished when the young man just all of a sudden sits up and starts talking? And that's what happened. The dead man began, sat up and began to speak. Verse 15a. Now Jesus again shows his compassion for this widow and he then takes the young man and brings him to his mother. Look at the crowd's reaction in verses 16 through 17. Fear gripped them all, and they began glorifying God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. This report concerning him went out over all Judea and in all the surrounding district. When Peter preached his Pentecost sermon, he said this, Jesus Christ was attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, Acts 2.22. One of the reasons why Jesus did this miracle, one, first and foremost, is because he had compassion on the widow. But this was a sign and a wonder that was a testimony. It attested to, it testified to, it gave evidence to who he was. Now, they saw what Jesus did, and their first reaction was, not, behold the Son of God who raised the dead. What did they say? Behold, a great prophet has arisen. And the answer is really found in the Old Testament. Because if you know your Old Testament, you know that both Elijah and Elisha, his assistant who became the prophet after him, both raised the dead. But what makes Jesus different? Well, we know that Elijah ascended to heaven in a fiery uh, chariot, but Elisha 
who actually did a double portion of, of miracles compared to his master, he's still in the grave. Elisha has never risen from the dead. But Jesus Christ not only raised the dead of this, this young man here, but Jesus Christ himself was delivered by the power of death because he himself rose from the dead on the third day. So Jesus proved himself as one who was not just a great prophet. He proved himself as being the God-man. He, he was raised the third day. It was, was, was foretold. But the resurrection power I want to talk to you about this morning is something of God's transformative resurrection power. That same resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead can raise you to new life, to new obedience. It says God's resurrecting power is evident in Christians in, verse, in Romans 6, 4. We have been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. So in other words, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead can raise you to new obedience through Jesus Christ. But how do you get there? First and foremost is to be raised from spiritual death if someone has not received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Someone who does not believe that Jesus is Lord and Savior is dead in their trespasses and sins. They have to be born again. They have to be given a new life through Jesus Christ. Otherwise, they will never live for him and even believe in him. Lastly, the people of Nain told of Christ's resurrection power. It says they told it all over Judea and all of the surrounding district. Brothers and sisters, in like fashion, ask for opportunities that you can tell others of the power of Jesus Christ, the saving power of Jesus Christ our Lord. So why trust in Jesus? Others want you to trust in them, but why trust in Jesus? There's two reasons. Because he's a compassionate high priest. And he lives forever. The priests of old have died. Muhammad is in the grave. Buddha is in the grave. Jesus Christ, by his power, rose from the grave and he is forever before the Father as our great and compassionate high priest. And we know that he saves to the uttermost those who believe in him. And all power and authority has been given unto Jesus Christ. He has resurrection power to raise the dead and raise you unto new life. Again, you must first be born again unto new life in Christ to then receive and believe in him. Let's pray together. We thank you, our Lord, for this glorious gospel. We thank you that Jesus Christ demonstrated his power and authority even over the grave. And we pray that you would use that same Holy Spirit, that same Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, that he would raise us up to new life 
in obedience to your holy gospel. Help us, we pray. We ask that if, if, if we do not have this faith, that you would work it in us and through us, through your holy word and holy spirit. Give us new life and faith to believe and to receive Jesus Christ as he's offered to us in this your holy gospel. For we ask it all in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. For a hymn of dedication, we'll stand and sing 281, Rejoice the Lord is King. Let's stand and sing 281.